Welcome to the No Greater Joy podcast, episode 25, brought to you by the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church, Westlake, Ohio, uh, because we want for our people what Jesus wants for his people, and that is his joy in their hearts and their joy to the full. I am Steve Strong, lead pastor here at Grace, my partner in brilliance, associate pastor Ryan Adkins, and spinning the dials, making us sound palatable. Dan Craniac, thank you, Dan, once again for your time. Thanks, Dan. All right, so this episode, uh, we're just finished a series of four episodes talking about uh, kind of this process of spiritual growth, these categories, helping us try to be intentional, to be uh, be able to evaluate, um, and where we are. We're going to, it's related to that, but different, different topic. We're talking about conversion, and I guess this would take a person from being in that first category of being spiritually dead and carnal to being a spiritual infant that, um, uh, or... From natural, natural to carnal. To carnal. Natural to carnal. Yep. And uh, but we're talking about conversion. I think this is an important topic, um, and we'll obviously, I hope our, you guys see the importance and recognize it after uh, listening to us talk a little bit about it. But um want to spend our time just talking about, all right, what is conversion? Why is this important? Where do we see it in Scripture? And what are the implications for us uh, as God's people, specifically here at Grace, but in general for God's people? So, Ryan, I want you to start us, help our people understand, all right, what is conversion? All right, so conversion... Uh, the definition, I actually pulled this from my doctrinal statement, is an individual's response to the gospel message and the effectual call whereby he or she repents and believes in Christ. And so there's kind of multiple pieces to this definition to kind of think about, look at, uh, one being uh, the gospel message, which I think as we get further in the episode, uh, we'll kind of walk through what that is. And what it isn't, and so uh, I'm going to save that for now. But then, this idea of an effectual call—that um, being an act of God, whereby He's issuing this irresistible call to the hearts of the elect, and that that irresistible call causes them to respond favorably to the gospel message—and um, then this idea of repentance, and then also uh, faith or belief. And so, um, repentance, just this sorrowful recognition of one's sin. And really the idea that they're turning from and forsaking that sin and turning towards Christ. Yeah, I think that's an important designation is that you do have this repentant turning away from sin and toward Christ in faith. I like what Jesus says in Matthew 18.3, this idea of turning. And he says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty dogmatic, clear statement. Unless you turn, um, it's a change in direction. You've had, I'm sure all of us have had those moments when we're driving and all of a sudden we begin to realize, all right, I missed my exit (laughs) or we're going in the wrong direction and we actually have to stop and turn around and go the exact opposite direction. There's that 180 turn. Um, Conversion is that 180 turn. Mm-hmm. It's that complete change in a person's life. 
Um, I think it's important. I think illustrative, and I think we're going to reference this, but I'd like to read First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Um, Paul talking, and he writes, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you uh, in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we, meet, we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and then here's how he describes them. How you turned to God from serving, excuse me, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God, that's conversion. Mm -hmm. That is that complete 180 turn. Um, It's a change in direction. It's a change in the entire person. It's a change in a person's mind and how they think. It's a change in their view. It's a change in their affections, uh, their feelings, their what their sorrow about, where their joys are, what their desires are. There's a change in their will, their determination, their actions. Stop sinning. There's no, you know, there's a distaste for sin now, and and a love and a desire for God where there wasn't before. So mm-hmm. a complete change. Yep, and we're turning to God. We're turning to God through Jesus Christ as an act of faith, and faith being this confidence, this trust, this holding to something that's true, and then really it's not just that, but it's a saving faith. So it's a trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins the eternal and eternal life with God. It's this wholehearted trust that God will keep his promises in the gospel, yep. the promises he has laid out for us, and so... Um, thinking about that to understand how to keep like that that trust that God will keep His promises in the gospel. We have to understand what the gospel is. Yep. And so, Steve, what four words easiest way to describe the gospel or share the gospel? Well, God, man, Jesus response. God, man, Jesus response. Yep. And so, God being the Creator, the ultimate authority, perfectly just, perfectly holy. Man being inherently sinful and set apart from God because of our sin incapable of reconciling the relationship that we have with God due to our sin. And so Jesus being this fully divine, uh, full deity, fully man, the only perfect life to have ever been lived, the only means of reconciling perfectly holy God and a sinful man, perfectly sinful man, if you will. And then in response, all that required from us is a response of faith in the finished work of Christ. And we can't add anything to this work. We're just responding to what has been finished, as Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. And so, Steve, why why is conversion and understanding conversion? What's why is it so important? Well, <clears throat> it's important because of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-one, probably scariest verse in the Bible. Yeah where he says, as people are coming up to him, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Um, that's sobering. Yeah. That even in Jesus' day, and it continues to today, is that there are true conversions how we've just described this churning away from sin to God. There is this change in direction. 
but there are also false conversions. You know, and I think it's important for us to talk about this because churches can either unknowingly or with good intentions lead people toward false assurance and false conversions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's why it's important. Mm -hmm. What would you add to that? Along the same lines, the one phrase that came to mind was that eternity is at stake. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that Matthew 7 passage is one that terrifies me. (laughs) And it's, but I think looking at the second part of that, you know, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the one who's going to. And so it's thinking about and understanding, it's not just knowing Jesus Christ. It's think about the demons, right? Jesus is encountering these demons as he's ministering, and they knew who he was. They identified him, but they were not and will not be saved. Like, there's, it's not just knowing Jesus, but having faith in his completed work and then doing the will, showing that fruit of a life becomes the evidence of. And so what are some of the things, Steve, like as we were thinking through this that you identified as what it's not? Yeah, I think one another reason why this is important for us to be talking about is, yeah, you know, eternity's riding on this, you know, true conversion in and then another reason, I something that as we've talked, we're noticing in our conversations mm-hmm. with others, we uh, the articles, the things that we're reading, the books that we're reading, the headlines, uh, as we have more and more experience with other churches. Um, one of the things that concerns us is what the gospel has been kind of turned into mm-hmm. within, you know a really broad brushstroke of evangelical Christianity is there's this attempt to kind of make the gospel appealing. Um, and I think we we see it happening in, I've written down three ways here, um, we make the gospel therapeutic. Rather than this conversion, conversion or this turning Rather than the gospel being what Jesus talks about, about, you know, if anyone's going to come after me, they have to deny themselves, take up their cross, they need to follow me. The gospel becomes a therapeutic uh, means for people, a sense of feeling better or about themselves or um, about the life that they're living. It's, It's therapeutic in the sense that, wow, Jesus now, you know, what it means to be a Christian is I have a new purpose. I have um, this new mission in life. I have a reason. There's a bigger cause. There's, but it, but all of that just makes me feel better about me. Mm-hmm. And I, if, if we make the gospel therapeutic, I think we provide the opportunity for false conversions because it's it's not what the gospel is about. Mm-hmm. It's not so. just about filling this void. It's about having a new master. Mm-hmm. Nor is it, I think, another way that we can uh, make the gospel appealing is when we just make it about self-improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 
I don't want to be critical of how other pastors lead, but this idea here of the gospel being self-improvement, it's one of the reasons we don't structure our preaching calendar around short topics, you know, four or five week series from series to series to series. And we really structure our preaching calendar around preaching through books of the Bible, the entirety of the Bible is because (coughs) if we're focused on just these topics, inevitably it just becomes about being better versions of ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know? And so the gospel then becomes, and the Bible really becomes a handbook on being a better me, a better dad, a better husband, a better pastor, a better employee, a better employer, a better citizen, a better friend, a better parent, um, and go on down the list. And then all of a sudden the Bible becomes this handbook rather than that means of treasuring our God and knowing our God. And and so the gospel, and, and, and the danger in that is the gospel is about now as opposed to the gospel being about eternity. Yes. And so um, it's important because um, we've, in general, American Christianity has made the gospel therapeutic. It's made it self-improvement. And I think one of the things that we also see is we've overgeneralized the gospel where we just say, well, I have faith. Mm-hmm. You know, there are I, I hear this, I've heard this often, well, that's a, that's a man of faith. <laughs> they have faith. Or their faith is important to them. But what saves a person is not faith. What saves is... It's the object of that faith. It's the object of that faith. It's the grace. It's what are you having your faith in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think other ways that we generalize it is... Um, we want people to meet Jesus. Well, I met Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Or I believe, and I think you brought this up with, you know, even the demons believe. Mm-hmm. They so met just, Jesus. Just <laughs> saying that you believe in Jesus or you believe in God, I think we fall short of what the true gospel is. Um, and even just saying, follow. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'm following Jesus. Well, you can follow the teachings of Jesus, Lord, Lord, but not know him mm-hmm. and have your faith in who he is and what he has accomplished for you on the cross. And even experience the power of following Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, like these people are casting out demons. They're doing stuff. They prophesied in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They did miracles in his name, yet they didn't actually know him. Yep. And not in your idea of following, like it's not just following, like Think of, okay, the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking to the disciples, but there's a crowd that has followed. There's a crowd that has assembled. They're not necessarily, they're not disciples. They're not followers, but they're there. They're still following, yet they don't actually know him. Well, and they're following because they want a better now. Yes. You know, and even after he fed the 5,000, he walks on the water and the disciples are... I think I think it's Mark that says that they hadn't yet understood or what Jesus meant by feeding the five thousand for them, mm-hmm. and then the next morning, all of those five thousand people are trying to find Jesus because they want food again, mm-hmm. and 
he does that hard teaching of I'm the bread of life. You have to partake in me. You got to eat me. You know, have life. Like, oh, this is a hard saying. And they left him. And then he's looking at his disciples and saying, Are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says, No, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the son of God. You know, and so it's like his disciples were following because of their faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. The crowds were following because they wanted a better now. Mm-hmm. And so, and then Jesus turns them away, which is crazy to think about. Um, But the danger in that is presenting a gospel that is just about a better now, where we can help you feel better about your life, about yourself. We can give you a bigger purpose, a bigger meaning, and and miss the mark Mm -hmm. in... And sadly, what we'll end up doing as pastors and as churches is provide a false assurance and produce people that don't know Jesus, that'll say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus looks and says, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. And that that's a sobering thought and, yeah. a, and a heavy responsibility. And so that's why this sense of conversion, I think, is important, mm-hmm. because the trend in the American church is to dilute mm-hmm. and to water down to make people. And what are the the motives in doing that? We won't go there, but um, but that's why it's important. Why we're talking about this? Mm-hmm. And so, kind of what? So then, if we're gonna, what is conversion? We've given that general description. This is why it's important. This is what we see happening within the larger. Uh, realm, if you will, of Christianity and what's happening and how the gospel be is being presented. What would, you know, what's, you know, we have three, we have written down three here kind of uh, central pertinent scriptures. The first one is John 3. What does John 3 tell us about true conversion? Yeah, so we're looking at Jesus's encounter with Nicodemus. And I think most of us would say we know, you know, the latter part of this in verses like 16, 17, but if you look at starting at the beginning of this passage, you know Jesus tells Nicodemus, starting in verse three, that unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and so he's confronting him with this need to be made new. And then again in verse five, he kind of reiterates it and expands it briefly. You know, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And again, he's confronting Nicodemus with this need to be born again, to be made new. And that only comes through God's work. And then verses 15 to 18, which are probably the most recognizable of this passage, um, I'm reading from the CSB, but it says, Everyone who believes in him, that being the Son of Man, may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And so there's just some big pieces there, Steve. What do you think? What jumps out to you in that passage of in relating to conversion? Well, yeah, this the necessity of newness, the necessity of rebirth, the necessity of understanding what sin has done to us. You know, like, you know, Jesus didn't come in the world to condemn the world. Why? 
because they're already condemned. Yes. Because of their their sin. And, you know, Jesus has that conversation with Nicodemus and is like, no, you need to be reborn. Like, you need to start over. There Mm -hmm. has to be a new beginning, this new life. And, of course, Nicodemus is like, well, I mean, I have to go back into my mom. (laughs) Like, no. And the very fact that you said that reinforces the truth that he's getting at, Mm -hmm. is that there has to be this spiritual rebirth, this newness. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 1.3, that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are born again to a living hope. Um, Jesus, or Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The news, behold, mm-hmm. the new is coming. Um, Galatians 6, Paul talks about being a new creation. Colossians 3, Paul talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Ephesians, he talks about that in Ephesians 4 also. So there's this newness. Like, there has to be this new birth, this new creation, this new self. And that happens through, in another episode, Regeneration, the newness, the being made alive that we're going to look at here in a second. Uh, But here's Jesus telling Nicodemus, like, you, there's got to be a rebirth, Nicodemus, in you. Mm -hmm. So, And then that rebirth, like, it's coming out of faith, right? It's coming out of believing in the Son of God, believing in the work that he is accomplishing. Yep, yep. Yeah, the second passage is Ephesians 2. So we have John 3. Um, kind of giving shape to what conversion is. The second one is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, probably familiar to most of our readers, um, our readers, our listeners. Um, hey, if you're reading this, yeah, kudos. More power to you. That's right. Way to go. Um, that Ephesians 2 talks about us being dead in sin. And again, important in understanding the necessity of what conversion is is understanding what sin has done, the spiritual death. When you think about death, and again, not to be morbid, but a dead body is not interacting with its world. A dead body is not responding to the world. A dead body is not viewing and understanding the world around them and those and others around them. Like when scripture talks about us being spiritually dead in our sin, there is a spiritual unawareness, a spiritual inresponsiveness, unresponsiveness. There is no spiritual reaction to God. There's deadness. And so conversion is being what Paul talks about, but God in his rich mercy what did he do? He made us alive. There is like a, a spiritual resurrection in a person. Um, and so it's that necessity of spiritual life, made alive, changed by God. And so an object, uh, an, we go from being an object of God's wrath to, at the end in verse 10, his workmanship created for good works. So Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's that necessity of being alive. Mm-hmm. And I think it really does, I'm glad you drew that out, point to the fact that got to understand where we were. And there's this like one little 
spot here in verse three where he talks about like we too all previously lived among them in our flesh of desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath. Like don't get prideful. If you're on the right side of conversion, don't be prideful in the fact that you were on the wrong side at some point and God is the one who made you alive. Like that's a big kind of nugget to understand that we were too dead. And so, yeah. And probably what's happened is the big C church, the American church, even in general, just like we've, we've wandered away from the true reality of the spiritual condition of human beings, total depravity, dead in our sins. Mm -hmm. Like if we wander, if we don't emphasize and we wander away from that, then there's no need for conversion. Right. Right. You know, there's no need for, if we're not honest and real with the spiritual condition of people being dead in their sins, then there's no need for conversion. We just have what, instead of the the 180, calling people to a 180 in their life, we're just calling people to off ramps, but in the same direction, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so Ephesians two, that that spiritual life that needs to happen. First mm-hmm. um, Thessalonians chapter one, we I read this earlier in the podcast, um, verses eight through ten, and I think this passage really, excuse me, specifically um, verse nine that turning to God from idols to serve the living God, the living and true God, and wait for his son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, and talking about their faith in God in in verse, uh, I think that's verse 8. It's a formative passage and really relevant to this topic of conversion because it really brings out, as you brought out in your definition, kind of the two components of a true conversion, the first one being repentance. How would you define repentance? So just that turning from sin, renouncing that sin, and then turning to Christ. Turning, yep. And so I think one of these things I have to be really careful with repentance, I wrote this down in my notebook here a minute ago, was like we're turning, in repentance, we're turning to God. We're not just turning to another idol. We're not turning to something else ourselves or something else that we will worship, but turning to our God and Father. Yep. So, we, yep. Repentance is recognizing wrong direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this direction I'm in is leading toward my death yeah. and my condemnation and the wrath of God. So I'm turning. Make a legal U-turn. That's right. Um, and so, so you have this component of repentance, this turning, but you also have this component of faith. And it's probably important for us to talk a little bit about what faith is. How would you define faith? Faith being that confidence, trust, holding to something as true, holding Jesus Christ as the one means by which we can be forgiven of our sins and we can experience eternal life with God. We can be reconciled in that relationship with God. Yep. Faith is I, probably the simple definite is what you said is trust. Mm-hmm. Faith, you know, it's not faith that saves. We've been saved by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And that grace of God is his unmerited, undeserved gift of love in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Not just Jesus, but the life that Jesus lived, 
the death that Jesus died, an undeserved death, his burial, and his resurrection. And faith, everybody's faith has an object. I think Mm -hmm. you brought that up early in our general description of this. So we're sitting down in chairs. So in some way, we have faith in a chair. Mm -hmm. And our faith has an object that this chair will hold us. Everybody has faith. Everybody is trusting in something. And when it comes to our spirituality, when it comes to our relationship with God, Scripture is clear that it's faith in Jesus alone. And so I like to ask people, well, what gives you the hope that you are right with God? That the, you know, that classic question of if you were to die today, what gives you 100% confidence that God will allow you to enter an eternity into heaven with him? Like at that moment, okay, that their answer reveals the object of their faith. Mm-hmm. So many conversations that I've had has been, well, I've tried to be a good person. What's the object of their faith? I. I, themselves, their works. Or, um, you know, I've gone to church, similar vein. Then their hope is in their religion. Mm -hmm. uh, There's only one object of saving faith, and that is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That this was for me. Mm -hmm. And that what Jesus did satisfies God's demands on my life, and I trust in him as my substitute. Like, that alone. And so faith is trusting in that. Mm-hmm. Faith is leaning all of your weight onto that. That's that trust fall into Jesus. And so when we stand before God on the edge of eternity, why, Steve, should I let you into heaven? Well, you shouldn't. I, I'm trusting in your provision in Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's my only hope. You know, and I think in a similar way, you could ask people, all right, take away your church attendance. Take away your good works. Take away all these things. Can you still have hope? Do you still have hope? Hmm. Well, I think a little bit. Um, well, then it's not in Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. And so that true conversion... I think this First Thessalonians and Ephesians 2, by grace you've been saved through faith, really just zeroes us in on a true conversion is a turning away from sin and a faith in Jesus Christ. A, all of my trust is in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, so I think these are these important scriptures. Any other thoughts that you have with these passages? I think you covered most of what I had in my notes of thinking, so I think we're on the same page here. Great minds think alike. That's right. So let's kind of land the plane, so to say, um, and describe, all right, so so general conversion is that um, turning away of our sin toward Christ and faith. We've talked about why this is important in a relevant conversation, why it's important for our people to understand. We've talked about those key scriptures, John 3, Ephesians 2, 1 Thessalonians 1. Now, what are the implications of conversion? How does Where do we see this playing out in, in our Christian lives? Yeah, What's the so, first arena that you have? So 
so the general implication I thought of the first Peter two came to mind where Peter's written, but you are a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I think that passage just captures kind of the implications of our conversion. And then uh, kind of sticking with our three personas, I kind of categorize things into what does it mean for a 24-7 worshiper, not a 27-4 worshiper. That'd be weird. <laughs> what does it mean for an alongsider? Was it? And so like for a 20, 20, 24-7 worshiper, a proper understanding of conversion affects our view of God. That our salvation is not for us, it's for God's glory. And one one commentator I was reading about conversion, and he wrote, everything changes when we understand that our salvation is about God's glory. No longer is the Christian life about asserting my Christian rights. It's about laying down my life to serve others. No longer is the church an outlet for my calling and gifts. It's a community where God's grace is displayed. The mystery is that the happy, fulfilled life comes when we stop pursuing it and instead pursue God and find his glory, find in his glory, the satisfaction that we were made for. I think so often we run for that temporal, what we were talking about earlier, the happy, the fulfilled life, and we're missing the true peace that we're to be pursuing. That's God himself. Yeah. It, it's kind of what we zeroed in on. I think it was last year or the year before was just, you know, when there is true conversion, we live a life that we're just always in awe. Mm-hmm. We can, you know, that person who is truly converted daily is just overwhelmed by the beauty and the immensity of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, their, and their hearts and minds are just drawn to worship daily. I, I'm, they're, uh, I think you highlighted another implication just in terms of, well, what is a church? Mm-hmm. You know, baptism, membership, you know, a, a true church, a biblical church is made up of converted people, true converted people. And so that has implications on how we do church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has implications on why we do membership and why we have what we like to call high walls for membership. Because the big C church is only made up of truly converted people. Mm-hmm. The, the spiritual church is only made up of truly converted people. So then the local church also needs to be made up of only converted people. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we take our time in with those who want to be a member is their true conversion um, and why we have the conversations. That's why we have the interviews. That's why we have Discovering Grace. That's why we have... You know, the application is because Grace Baptist Church will only be made up of truly converted people Mm -hmm. when it comes to our membership. Um, Baptism, that's why baptism is important to us. Um, Only those that are truly converted will be baptized. Mm -hmm. I think you had a couple other... Yes, I... Baptism, which we yep. mentioned, so church membership, which mm-hmm. we talked about, yep. uh, communion, communion, kind of being these this ongoing recognition of this bond that we have in Jesus Christ. Like we we celebrate an open table 
for those who are saved. Yes. Not just everyone come for snacks. Like, that's yeah. not what it is. And we don't do those things to secure our salvation. Correct. We do those things because we are saved, because we're truly yes. converted. Yeah. Baptism isn't saving us. It's an outward display of this inner faith, this inner reality becoming an outward display for those who are in attendance that yep. day and seeing yep. it. Same thing with communion. It's not saving. It's a piece of bread and Welch's grape juice. Like, But it, what it represents, what we're remembering in that, is the, that bond that we have. Yep. It no, also, you, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say it also affects, you know, as we alongside with one another, our the holiness mm-hmm. aspect, the one anothering passages, like a proper understanding of conversion affects how we view this idea of being holy, this idea of one anothering, you know, like, we highlighted a lot of those passages last year uh, and just thinking about all these things that we are called to do with one another and for one another and to encourage and exhort and rebuke and uh, to teach and that all of these things come because we have a proper understanding of what conversion is. Yeah, and it's the expectation on each other to say, listen, you repented of those things. Like, you've, you turned yes. from idols to the living and true God. Like, like you made that commitment. You made that turn. Stay turned away. Mm-hmm. You know, we come alongside of each other. Remember, we've turned to the living and true God. We've turned to the living and true God. And we have that expectation. It's why we exhort. It's why we, you know, you're not living consistent with that. Um, stay true to it. It's so, why we discipline. And praise God, right. we haven't gotten to the point in any case where we've been bringing it before the church necessarily since I've been a part of this church. Mm-hmm. But we have been having conversations one to one, one to a few, right? right, That we're confronting these sins because of our understanding of conversion. Yep, yep. And it impacts us. The implications are for us as our go people. So Mm -hmm. it's like these personas that we have as a twenty four seven worshiper. It has implications as alongsiders. It has implications, and as go people, it has implications in the sense that I I know what I am working toward. Like, mm-hmm. I am calling on the people in my life to repent and to have faith in Jesus, mm-hmm. to have this true conversion. And so in my presenting of the gospel, I'm not going to be therapeutic. I'm not going to be, you know, this self-improvement. Come to Jesus because he'll make you a better fill-in-the-blank, or yeah. you can feel better about yourself, and God has this great plan and mission for your life. I think all of that is great. But it's less than. Yeah. And as a go person, we are calling people to repent and to turn to Jesus. You have to bear the bad news That's right. when you share the gospel. That's right. And we're not going to be ashamed of it. And I think as go people, we are looking for converts. We are trying mm-hmm. to proselytize. I mean, there's no way around it. Yeah. And so it means that we're probably and most, most likely working against our culture. Absolutely. Because our culture says, no, you can't do this here. And so now we have a decision to make. Am I going to work in obedience to God or succumb and give in to the, the expectation of my culture that says, no, you can't be a go person. Yeah. You cannot proselytize. Well, or the, the way culture looks right now of, well, there's lots of ways 
for this to happen. No, no, no. There's one way. Yeah, there's only Jesus one Christ. way. That's right. And you so, know, or even, a, hey, you know, what's true for you is true for you, but not for me. No, no, no. That can't be the case. It's not right. true. And no, so I'm going to impact and I'm working and I'm building a relationship so that relationship can bear the weight of the truth that I want to bring to bear. Mm-hmm. You need to repent and turn to Jesus. Yep. And, um, and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Yeah. And and thinking back to the Ephesians 2 passage, we're not pointing the finger at someone when we're, you need to do this, you need to do this. Hey, look, it's we're extending the hand. You need to do this. And you're trying to draw them along yep. because I was where you were once were. And there is better. There yep. is there is a way out of where you are. And his name is Jesus Christ. Yep. And there's an anthropological, big word, Ooh. implication with this. And... It's what currently we're right now working through the first three chapters of Romans and Sunday mornings. It's a true biblical understanding of people. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2, it's seeing people as Jesus saw Nicodemus. You're spiritually dead and you need rebirth. Mm-hmm. It's seeing people as dead in their sins. Uh, that changes how we view people. Uh, we're not basically good people. <laughs> Being a sinner doesn't erase the essential value of people mm-hmm. and the dignity and sanctity of life that every person has, but every person is basically a sinner mm-hmm. and in opposition to God. And there is a there's a bent towards sin. There's a disposition toward God that is opposed. You know, we need to allow that to shape how we see the people around us. And not be filled with hate and frustration, but compassion. Because being dead in sin, they're an object of his wrath. Mm-hmm. And that should motivate and burden us and fill us with compassion. So I think there's a an implication on how we view other people. Mm-hmm. Very right. much so. Yep. All right, so conversion, um, it's probably a necessary topic that we need to uh, bring into our discussions a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So what is it? Why is it important? Remember these scriptures, and it really has impacts on all of our lives and especially ministry within our church. Yeah, And if you're looking for a better understanding of this, even beyond what we were able to cover in this however many minute long conversation, we do have a resource. Come see us. We can get yep. that to you. Let yeah, you go ahead and give them the is. title. Why don't you hold it up so they can see it? All right, I'll hold it up here. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, which you can't do anymore, <laughs> uh, you can listen there, but you can't watch. Yep. Uh, it's called Conversion, How God Creates a People, and it's written by Michael Lawrence. It's about 120 pages. They're small pages. It's a pretty quick read, um, but he does a great job of just walking through kind of what it is versus what it isn't yep. and some of these different aspects that we've talked about Um but it's a very, very good read. So, so. again, it's called Conversion yep. by, who's the author again? Michael Lawrence. Michael. Little Yellow Book. It comes, it's part of the Nine Marks uh, Building Healthy Churches series. Yep. So, And if it's not on our recommended resources and our Amazon page, we'll make sure that it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Very good. Good talking with you. Hope this is beneficial. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening. God bless. Jesus, come quickly. We'll see you next time.